The Athletic. Jordan, you're a great professional, but tell me you're going to get absolutely rotten tonight, like me. <laughs> Possibly. Oh, Come on, Jordan, go for it, lad. Enjoy yourself. Cheers, hey! Carol. Back to back wins, confidence levels rising around Liverpool. Hugely important three points at Wolves. We're going to talk Jota's influence, the Bolton Parisi Nat Phillips, and the effect a three week break from the league could have. It's the Red Agenda on the pod this week. Simon Hughes, uh, James Pierce, Kiefer O'Neill, I'm Steve Hoversall, and this is the Red Agenda. Right now, you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price of £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full price of a subscription. You'll enjoy great analysis, uh, in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all the podcasts. Go to theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod to take advantage of this special 40% discount. That's theathletic.com slash Liverpool pod. So, uh, Sammy Hughes, uh, Jürgen described it as three dirty points. Which uh, which seemed quite apt, quite nice. I don't think we cared, did we? I quite like that description, Steve. Yeah, they had to fight really hard for the win last night against Wolves. Uh, I do think they deserved it. I think they were a bit more convincing defensively than Wolves, and, and more threatening in attack as well. Liverpool did look like they they, they could score more goals if they you know if, if the final pass and the, the midfield play would have been better. I think Wolves to me seemed. To be having a touch of what Liverpool have, have had over the last two months, really, you know, lacking a lot of confidence, particularly up front, really missing Raul Jimenez, who's for me one of the best strikers in the Premier League. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that Liverpool sort of showed a different side that they, they, they had to show, really. It's a classic sort of victory when you've been on a, on a bad run, really, away from home and thought the two lads at the back did superbly. You know, it was probably the best defensive performance from a Liverpool team in quite a long time, albeit, you know, with the context that they, they weren't up against Raul Jimenez, which I think would have made it a lot more challenging. But the two of them worked, I think, very well as a partnership. And that was the basis for the Liverpool victory, really. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's it's a building block. It's just a shame that Liverpool don't have a league game for such a long period of time now. Uh, one of those little things that go against you, you probably want to play, you know, quite quickly after, after a good win like that. Uh, so they've got a little wait now, but... Really important win, all in all, because it, it it puts them back in the mix. I think for the Champions League place, without it, you know, without them being favourites to qualify. But I think if Liverpool were to be able to to put a, a few wins together from this point, it would crank up the pressure on the teams above them. It'd be interesting to see how they react to that. And it's the confidence it breeds, isn't it, James? So go back to that phrase, a dirty win. It makes it sound like it was just awful to watch sort of thing. I, d- I don't suppose at this stage, this point in time, given Liverpool are trying to rebuild in a way, but it really matters how they're putting these wins together. No, and if anything, I thought that was a, a really, really promising sign that Liverpool were able to grind out, a, you know, an, an ugly three points like that because... There's, you know, that that has been a mark of them the last few years that when not at their best, that they're still able to to win matches, and that's been the big problem this season that they've had to play really well to actually to actually overcome teams, and too often when standards have slipped, they, they've dropped points as a result. So, um, so yeah, I I thought there were signs of the old Liverpool coming back last night. It definitely helped, you know, being able to name an unchanged team. Jurgen Klopp can't have been able to do that many times this season. 
that continuity, as Simon said, the two centre-halves are now getting a bit of understanding, you know, not as much chopping and changing. I was really pleased that he, you know, he didn't go back to Fabino as a centre-half. Fabino has to play centre-midfield for the rest of the season now. You know, we've all seen, you know, how that impacts through the whole team. And also, you know, Jota, what, you know, what a different dimension he gives Liverpool's attack. So I thought there were loads of positives. It wasn't, you know, of course, it wasn't a sparkling performance. I thought Trent played well, but I thought there were really promising signs. And, you know, and suddenly, you know, you go back up to sixth in the table, what, to within five points of fourth. And you, you know, where a week ago you were probably thinking winning the Champions League was the only hope of playing Champions League football next season. I think now you actually think, well, you know, actually with this break coming up, and with players coming back and a bit of form and a bit of confidence coming back, you know, there's still that hope that Liverpool can finish in the top four. Absolutely. It's not that far away, is it? Well, given given the way the league's go, you, you said um, in terms of an unchanged side, do we know how many times this season Jurgen Klopp's been able to field the same size? It, it can't be much. I think Simon's your man for that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, in such a He's not been doing his stats. Thanks, James. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, you're wasting your time. It can only be two or three, can't it? No, it, it feels that could be the only time. Like I can't remember the last time. But do we really want to remember all those games? Like, <laughs> I'm just happy to be here right now, post win, and just with this little space now to just, just you know, just stay in this little nice little bubble. Because if that didn't go go to plan last night, then you know Liverpool fans would have a couple of weeks now that they play is at Arsenal on the third of April. Like that's that's a long way off to to be back on the back of say a one nil defeat. So to get across the line, I think was massively important just for like the training ground, just so they know they've got that there. You know the win is on the board after like some horrendous results. Um, but you know things are picking up now, aren't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. Uh, look, let's let's talk a bit about Jota. Jurgen Klopp must be thinking if this guy hadn't got injured, I wonder what the league table would have been looking like now, Kiva. God, I know. I mean. I think that was his 10th goal, wasn't it? Which is, you know, he should have probably 20 now, the way he was playing and absent for, was it four months in total in the end? Just playing with so much energy and so much freedom. The kind of like, I don't know, he doesn't seem like stressed ever. Like he always just wants to wants to do something. And Quebec almost stole the, the man of the match headlines and stuff. But Jota, for me, was running everywhere. And like you would expect that because it's against his old side. But I think he brings that every game. Um, his pressing intensity is just brilliant. He just wants to chase the ball constantly and, and try and win it back. And I think that's what Liverpool's attack have, have missed the, the most this season. Obviously, without being able to rotate that obviously impinged on that a little bit because the players just don't maybe have that energy there as they have done in, in recent seasons. But yeah, even when the midfield didn't have the, the best night, it was someone who just stepped up and, and, and got the goal. And what a goal it was as well. And obviously, Ruud Patricio got, got a hand to it. It looked like he might keep it out and then, um, you know, it just sort of snuck in. And, and Liverpool have missed them as well, them goals that just sort of sneak across the line. They, they've had absolutely no luck in recent weeks, but it just felt like Joss is a player who plays without any hesitation. He just plays and I don't know if Mane and Salah and maybe even Firmino and he and he was fit was was playing with that little bit of hesitancy. I think that's all over the pitch a little bit, but performances like that kind of start putting the jigsaw back together a little bit. Cause towards the end, I felt like 
it was very much sort of, I was feeling a Leicester game coming on a little bit. There was like sort of little moments where, you know, I think Fabinho would lose the ball or give it away or, and then, you know, Wolves would break with, I mean, how I was just wondering anyway, how has Adama Traore got one assist in the Premier League this season? He is relentless and scary to watch. Like if I was a defender, I'd just be like, go on, mate, <laughs> go on, just run past because you, you're getting past anyway. But yeah, I thought Liverpool handled Wolves really well in the end. And, you know, the game was almost overshadowed, wasn't it, by what happened to, to Rui Patricio, which, you know, he's OK now, apparently. So we hope, you know, he, he recovers well from that. Yeah, thankfully he's OK. Right, I managed to, to Google what the answer is. It's only the second time this season that Jürgen's named an unchanged 11, which is remarkable, Si, isn't it? Uh, let me read your headline. There's some brilliant writing on The Athletic from Si talking about the game. Waspish display shows why Jota will be a big part of the rebuild. Did you come up with this headline, Si? I did not, Steve. I would not I would not actually chosen the word rebuild. Um, not waspish. Mainly because a, a, re- a rebuild is something that Manchester City or Chelsea do. I was looking at sort of the numbers you know, behind the, the summers when City or Chelsea have gone big, you know, on transfers. I think in the summer of 2017, at the end of Guardiola's first season, when it was quite clear that a lot of players had come towards the end of their cycle at Man City, he spent in advance of 250 million quid and recouped something like 115 million. Obviously, that doesn't take into consideration wages and stuff like that. So, Liverpool aren't that sort of club. I think what they're, they're trying to do is evolve the team in a way that, you know, a rebuild is like, well, that team is over. We're going to come and sign a whole new team. That's just not the case for Liverpool. So I did try not to sort of use that word, rebuild, in the actual copy, but uh, we are where we are, I suppose. Um, but I think that Jota, you know, is a player for now and he's a player for the future as well. I think that you know, acutely, it just reminds us, I mean, you asked the question to Kiva before about where Liverpool might be if if he didn't get injured. I think it's safe to say he would have been in a healthier position than they are now. I think it just reminds us as well, you know, like last night, he when he got the ball, he, he made it stick a lot. Even though he's sort of a, a player that, that is busy and enthusiastic, his use of the ball is, is really good. And... It's been a, a sort of an irritation of mine with Firmino, as you've probably told over the last few months, really. Just the ball seems to bounce off him a lot and it's not sticking. It's not, you know, when he's passing, it's not going to a teammate. Just basics, really. Just absolute basics. And I just thought last night Liverpool looked a lot threatening, more threatening as a consequence of that. It allowed the team to get further up the pitch. And as a result, it, it was a more fluid display in attack, I thought. And... He, for me, is is a player now that is in line with the other three. You know, he could play in any of the other three players' positions in attack. And I think it's important... Is he going to bring the best out of the other two? As in, if we put Firmino to one side? I, th- yeah. I think so, yeah. I mean, it's... I suppose for, for, for three years, I don't want to say Klopp's been lucky because I don't think... Yeah, I think it, it's a reflection of the players' appetite and their, their physical attributes that they've been able to play so many games, the three of them. I think it's a combination of things. I think obviously the to, to, to go and play the number of games that they've played and, and score, it is going to have a natural amount of wear and tear on the body. You throw in a pandemic to all that where they haven't had the same pre-season and, and a variety of other things and, you know, the, the growing age of, of each player. I just think that, you know, that this season they did need that sort of challenge, that new challenge to sharpen the minds again, to remind that there are players 
challenging them for places. I think Divock Origi's time at Liverpool sadly sort of coming to an end. Really, he's obviously been a cult hero, if you like, for for Liverpool fans because he the goals that he scored and the importance of those goals. But I, I just think he can only do that for so long. Really, be that super sub. You know, he's been he's been the super sub for three years now. I, I think that they need an alternative option off the bench. So and, and a player who's not just off the bench, but is going to actually challenge the first team. And he is that player, Jota. You, you think about it, having three players, you usually need five options to cover three players, really, in that area of the pitch. That's what Liverpool have done in midfield. Quite often, five or six options in midfield. It's only ever been three or four options in attack, really. So I think that, from what I've been told, that's something that uh, Liverpool are looking at in the summer. It's the one area which they do want to improve on. And I wouldn't be surprised if... They did find a buyer for Origi and another forward came in. It'll be interesting to see who they go for because, it, you know, Jota's story is a reminder that they don't always go for the most ob- obvious option and he's proven to be a resounding success. So, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of links over the last couple of days. Social media obviously buzz with Kylian Mbappe talk and a few players from other foreign leagues. But if you look at what the success that they've had, Liverpool, with all the signs, really, that the ones you've just the quickest have been the ones who've accustomed to Premier League football. So I wonder, I've been looking at like sort of the players who in the Premier League they might go for and it's it's obviously some of the less the less obvious names that they usually look at. So yeah, it'd be interesting summer, I think. What do we think, James, on on those links that we're, we're seeing over the past few days to your Mbappes and your Haaland's? Is it is it completely unlikely that sort of player? Like, like Simon mentions there, is it more likely to be a player that player that's maybe a little bit under the radar, like the Jota signing that none of us expected. Yeah, I think so. I think you only have to look at the way that Liverpool have conducted business previously and what the recruitment policy has been. And I think it was on a pre-season tour a few years back when I remember being sat around with a number of other journalists doing an interview with Klopp. And he, he talked then about how, you know, he said, he said, I'm more interested in who's going to be the next, you know, massive star rather than going and and, and buying the the absolute finished article off the shelf, and um, you know, and, and obviously, you know, the two ones that he spent biggest on, you know, Van Dijk and Allison. But we all know that you know that was that was all financed by the sale of Coutinho. So yeah, the idea that suddenly Liverpool are going to be shelling out 100, 150 million on Haaland or Mbappe, I just don't think you know it just doesn't stack up with reality, especially with the the financial situation on the back of COVID. So no, as Simon said, I think it'll be a, a much more creative solution that people aren't particularly expecting. You know, certainly that was the case last summer, you know, when they were kind of kind of weighing up the merits of Ishmael Assar at Watford and, and Jota at Wolves and, and ultimately decided to to go for Jota. And um yeah, you'd have to say, you know, that's one of the best pieces of business. That, uh, that was done in the Premier League going into the start of this season because he just looks the absolute perfect fit for Liverpool in every single way. I really enjoyed Jota's goal last night, although Thierry Henry, I think, was trying to tell me that he didn't mean it. I don't know whether you, whether you saw that when he came to analyse it. He was almost saying that he was trying for something else at the time, but it, but I, I enjoyed the finish. Did, did you see that from Henry, James? You know, I didn't see I didn't see that. I mean, obviously, Thierry Henry probably does know more about goal scoring than me. Yeah. But um... I'm not so sure, James. I'm not so sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, do you know what? I actually, and I know, obviously, but I saw a lot of people, you know, criticising the, the goalkeeper. Obviously, it never looks good, does it, when a keeper's beating his near post? But I thought Jota genuinely surprised the keeper by hitting it so early. I didn't, it, I must admit, 
I, I, it took me a few seconds to realize that it had actually gone in because I, I yeah, it I, didn't look like it, no, did it? No, and, and, and in that situation, I would have envisaged, and I'm sure probably the keeper did, that Jota's taken a touch to steady himself and then and then hammering it. So I think he took it so early that he just completely caught the keeper out. And in my eyes, watching it back five or six times, I'm I'm pretty convinced he meant it. Look, look, he's fresh, isn't he, James? That that's that's a real bonus if you look at. There are some weary legs in the squad. You've got a fresh mind and a fresh body in Jota. Yeah, and that, and that is going to be huge, isn't it? That's why, as we said earlier on about, you know, can Liverpool still salvage something from this season? And, you know, it isn't just about the Champions League. It is about the Premier League placings as well. So, you know, that having him back fit and firing, and I think Tim Spears, our Wolves guy, did a piece at, at the weekend just about speaking to various kind of medical sports science people about, just just how physically demanding this you know this season has been for players across the board and how so many players have been playing with injuries and playing you know not fit and so to have someone of his caliber now back and fresh at a time when he's going to be coming up against a lot of teams and a lot of defenders who are really really feeling the strain um yeah it does it does whet your appetite about what uh, what Jota can achieve between now and the end of May it's the Red Agenda. I'm Steve Hoversaw. I've got James Pierce, Simon Hughes, and Kiva O'Neill on the pod. Uh, let's talk about the Bolton Brazy. Kiva, what, what a brilliant name. I, you know, he must be absolutely over the moon, Nat Phillips, that people are, uh, are giving him this nickname at the moment. But let's face it, he's a wall, isn't he? He's an absolute, what, nothing gets past him. And he's brilliant in the air. Yeah, but as Simon's piece uh, yesterday said, his, his granddad was born in Birkenhead, am I right to say, Simon? So. Correct. <laughs> Should we be uh, giving him a new nickname? I think so. Um, but no, fantastic. I think he is that old school defender with that sort of mix of like, you know, he can pass the ball around as well. And I think that's kind of like almost what you see in Van Dyke in a way. Like, I'm going to win every header I possibly can. And like watching him win headers, I'm like, does Van Dyke win that many headers? It's been so long. I can't remember. Um, he just wins every every single header and... You know, I think he does need someone behind him a little bit, like you saw Quebec last night, just sort of filling in when he when he sort of, you know, went forward a little bit. And that's kind of what you see Van Dyke do a lot of the time for be it Matip or Gomez when they kind of rush out, you know, they'll rush back and sort of, you know, protect a little bit. Um, but no, he's he's been phenomenal, hasn't he? And you know, what a story to to get here to this point. He must just be, you know, absolutely pinching himself, thinking, you know, I'm playing now week in week out for Liverpool and it feels like why didn't we just do this ages ago when we were playing everyone at centre off just just do this just play Nat Phillips every week because he's just grown with with confidence you can see that and it doesn't nothing seems to really phase him um even last night coming up against Wolves and you know I felt like you know that might be another another massive test for him one that he might not reach the heights of, of the Leipzig performance but he did it again and there's been a couple of mistakes in there. I think there was one leading to a goal against Brighton, but I mean, you couldn't massively blame him for that. It was just a bit of a mad one, but um, I've been just vastly impressive him. And, you know, I think Simon put in his piece that he's got two years left on his contract, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Liverpool look to extend that. You've got just someone who, who was about to leave Liverpool at one point and now he's, he's, he's playing and, you're kind of thinking, you know, how far can he go in his career with all this experience of this season now under his belt? 
because I think fans are really falling in love with him as well. You know, he he, he would, I think, head anything, wouldn't he, that you, th- you threw at him. And I think that's kind of nice to have those players in the squad, even though Van Dijk might come back and Gomez might come back and they'll just, you know, play forever. But to have Phillips there, I think those players in the squad that you really trust, because, you know, let's be honest, Liverpool went into the season short on centre-halves. If they're going into next season with Nat Phillips as one of the options, I'm I'm happy about that. Has he even, Simon, exceeded his manager's expectations for him? You know, he was right down the rung, but actually you look at him now and you think, I'm really confident with him playing. As Kiva mentioned, he's a, he's a bit of a fan's favourite. You know, he, he doesn't look unsettled in the position. The manager himself, would he have expected this much out of Nat Phillips? I get that impression, Steve. I remember... I think it was one of the first games he started. It might have been the first against West Ham when he got given the man of the match at Anfield. And he he, he sort of said, you know, well, he's not he's excellent in the air, but not so great on the ground, you know. But I think you've seen over the course of the last three months, you know, gradually, maybe it's had to be that way for him, sort of ease himself in, play some games, pull out some of the other games, not, not, not feature in those games, to become accustomed to, to everything that's going on because he's not... You know, to, to go in and play for a team that's just won the title in a problem position, I don't want to say solve it, but ease Liverpool's problems in that position isn't an easy thing to do for either Kabak or Nat Phillips. And um, I think that the, the only game where you've seen him look a bit vulnerable was the actual the Brighton game away, when there's quite a few times Brighton got in behind. I think the pace of front bothered him that day. But it seems like he, you know, he's sort of become used to that play, a lot more used to playing that high line. And as, as everybody said, you know, excellence in the air. I think teams have tried to target Liverpool's vulnerability in the air without Van Dyke by putting more crosses in. But he stood up to the stood up to the questions on the deck as well. He seems to have grown in confidence. So I think he's uh, he's done fantastically well. I mean, of course, you know, the Bolton Barazi is is tongue in cheek and. I when I mentioned that on social media yesterday, you know, a lot of rival fans sort of thinking people mean it in a very literal way, which clearly isn't. But I mean, I, I've got to be honest. I think I said on this podcast, I, I or got to be admit, I think I said on the podcast that I didn't really see a future for him at Liverpool two or three months ago. But you know, if he carries on playing like that, and, and Liverpool end up finishing the season where they want to be, then it's very hard not to see a future for him at the club. Because he'll have proven himself in, in under pressure moments. I think Arsenal, the next game's a big, big test for him, a, a big step up in quality. But you know, he's played in some difficult games for Liverpool this season, home and away at West Ham, who've obviously had a really good season. He came on at half time against Tottenham and got picked up the pace of the game very quickly. Albeit, you know, I don't think Harry Kane was on the pitch that day, but he's done excellently, I think. And I think that the one sort of image from, from the game last night against Wolves that that sums him up was the, the outstretched clearance in the final minutes when it did look like if, if he doesn't make that clearance, Wolves probably have a good chance of scoring and he, he managed to fling himself in the way and he puts his body on the line. I think fans like to see that. So, yeah, he, he could become sort of, it could be, be a happy accident in some ways, I think. It certainly wasn't by design that he, he was going to become one of the, the first choice centre-backs this season, towards the end of the season, but... You can only give him a lot of credit because he's shown absolutely no vulnerability, really, certainly since coming back into the team post-Christmas. Yeah, I mean, he's profited, hasn't he, from 
actually injury to others. And you, you do wonder what might have happened to him. James, it, he seems to have an OK relationship with those in Quebec as well, who's, who's come to the fore. I think it was mentioned before, some people gave him the, the man of the match from the Wolves game. He, he looks more confident. The two of them together look like there's a bit of an understanding. Good signs. Yeah, definitely. And I think pleased for Quebec as well because I, I felt I felt really sorry for him. I think I think we talked about it on the party the last week or the week before in terms of just the unrealistic expectations on Owens and Quebec's shoulders. This idea that this 20 year old kid who'd been playing in a Schalke team that were getting absolutely battered every week in the Bundesliga was just going to walk into Liverpool and suddenly solve all their problems, which seemed to be the the feeling, you know, certainly on you know on social media after Liverpool did that deal to sign him on loan for the rest of the season. So um, you know, it's it's so hard to make that step up, especially for someone so young. And yeah, he did have a couple of ropey performances early on, but I think we said you know he's got to cut the kid some some slack. And um, now we're seeing you know what he's all about. I think he does look a lot more composed and confident now. He looks like he knows what he's doing. He looks like you can see that. Klopp and Pep Linders have spent time with him on the training field. You know, he knows now when to press, when, when to drop off. And yeah, and there is the start of an understanding there with, with Nat Phillips. So, um, And he's, he's got to play for his future as well, hasn't he, James? Because nothing's certain about what's happening yeah. with Quebec. Yeah. Well, I, well I, think, I think both of them are. I think both Phillips and Quebec are playing for their futures between now and the end of the season. Because, you know, they've both been given an opportunity that... Neither of them, you know, rewind to the start of this season and neither of them would have been expected to be anywhere near this position. You know, Liverpool wouldn't have got Quebec, but for the injuries, Phillips, you know, would have been a Swansea player anyway if if Swansea hadn't backed out of that deal at the 11th hour on that deadline day in early October, I think it was. So, yeah, you know, those two have got huge amounts of motivation to prove a point because of course you know yeah Liverpool have only got the option that they're not committed to buying Quebec so he has to essentially prove to Klopp look you don't need to go and buy anywhere else centre-back wise this summer you know I, I can be that man and and the same with Phillips I think because Klopp said again the other day that he expects to have Van Dijk, Gomez and Matip all back for pre-season so and that is going to be a juggling act because that's going to be difficult, difficult, I think, to assess where those three are up to. And we all know that players who come back from really serious injuries usually need a fair amount of time to get anywhere near to the level they were at before before they were hurt. So, um, you know, I, I think Liverpool probably, because of the circumstances, you probably need five, I think, senior centre-halves going into next season. Um, just, just because I don't think you can be 100% sure where you're going to be with Van Dijk, Gomez, Matip. And at the moment, I'd be more than happy if Phillips stayed around as, as one of those five. I just think, you know, the, the biggest compliment you can pay him is he's clearly winning over the manager because Simon referenced the West Ham game earlier on in the season, which I think was Phillips's Premier League debut for Liverpool. And there was definitely a feeling amongst the staff at that point that, like, you know, that was the kind of game for Phillips. You know, there was going to be a lot of balls into the box, lots of headers to win. But yeah, we, we couldn't play him in, you know, in, in that high line in a game when there's any pace to any attackers around. But I think now he's shifted opinion, you know, and now Klopp trusts him for the biggest of games. And, and the fact he played him against Leipzig last week, underline that. 
Yeah, he's done absolutely brilliantly. There's plenty more on it in a superb article that uh, Sai's written on The Athletic right now, uh, which looks a little bit at his history as well, including his, uh, his legendary dad, Jimmy Phillips, who played for Bolton. Uh, it's The Red Agenda. Uh, I'm Steve Hothersall. We've got Simon Hughes, James Pearson, Kiva O'Neill. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you. James, what do we think of the landscape of the season as a whole? Now, three-week break, is it is it something that Jurgen Klopp will be pleased with because he can work, work with some of the players better? Did they just get some momentum going? Has it come at a, at a bad time? And how do you see the wider picture now? No, I think it's come at a good time, even even though, obviously, I know some people will say, oh, you've just won a game, you want, you want the next one to come along straight away. But I just think the way this season has been, you know, one of Klopp's big bugbears has been, you know, not not having uh, enough time on the training field, having to juggle which players are slightly more fit than others, which ones are carrying slightly bigger knocks than others and can continue to play through the pain. So I just think to be able to have that time is really valuable um, at this stage where, as we said, there's still so much left to achieve. I think um, it could have been different. You know, if Liverpool had, had messed up against Leipzig last week and if other results hadn't gone their way and they hadn't, you know, uh, beaten Wolves, then you, you probably would be sat here thinking, well, you know, this break is pretty pointless because there's very little left to go at. But they have still got something tangible to, to chase. Um, you know, he, he won't be able to use the time as he would do usually. I think, you know, of course, we all know, you know, March international break usually take the players to, you know, to um, they take them to Spain, hasn't he, a few times and, um, you know, he's not going to be able to do that. You know, the normal like warm weather training camp, I don't think. But um, but no, it's still you know he be able to a give the players some time off to spend time with their families, which they haven't really had much. You know, you know days off have been at such a premium because of the schedule. And then I think also quality time on the training field as well. So um, I, I see it as a positive for what's to come. Right. Let's. Um... Finish finally on a story that you've written, James, which is really important, which puts football into perspective. It's about a young guy called Ian Frodsham, one of the brightest young talents to come through the academy, world at his feet, uh, signed a pro deal with Liverpool in the early 90s and then tragically passed away. He's he's remembered at the academy through a, an arena 
His name's on an arena. Um, you, you've been talking to those who know him, his family, people within the academy, your Steve Highways, your Kenny Dalgleishes. It's a name that probably doesn't ring many bells with people until you've written this article. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'd have to hold my hands up and say it, it didn't really, it wasn't a name that rang too many bells with me either. To, you know, if you'd asked me two months ago, I'd be pretty ashamed to say I didn't really know who Ian Frodsham was. I knew there was the Ian Frodsham Arena at, at Kirby. Um, but that was that was about it. And, it, you know, to, the, the process of writing that actually started with the interview I did with Jamie Redknapp back in January when, you know, towards the end of our chat, I was just asking him about his own career and the issues that he'd had to contend with, you know, with bad injuries. And one of his quotes was, you know, how could I possibly complain about anything that I had to handle in my career when the most talented footballer I ever played with was 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 dead at the age of 19 and he mentioned Ian Fodsham's name and I just thought you know what a thing to say you know and I thought I need to find out more about this kid because you know and, and so I contacted a few people at the academy at the academy who had a contact for Ian's family you know look back through the record books at who who would have been around in the youth section around that time and um, yeah it just became something a lot bigger than I ever thought it would be to be perfectly honest and it was pretty overwhelming and emotional to to put together because um yeah you know he was just you know not only i think from speaking to so many of his friends family teammates coaches managers it, it wasn't just his ability as a footballer which was incredible like you know steve highway you know lots of people said to me when i was putting it together steve highway won't, won't talk because steve highway doesn't really do interviews these days and as soon as I messaged Steve Highway and told him what I was writing about, he ran me straight back. And you know, he said, you know, make no mistake, this kid was on the on the same level as Stephen Gerrard. He said, you know, I often think, you know, what I thought it would have been to have a Frodsham Gerrard midfield, um, and you know, Kenny Dogleish. Bearing in mind, it was you, I ran Kenny Dogleish thirty years after Kenny Dogleish walked away from the club in '91, and you mentioned Ian Frodsham's name to him, and straight straight away he's off on one about, oh my God, you know that wee man, you know, what a talent, you know, and, and then other people just have the most incredible stories about what he was like as a boy and a man and the kindness that he showed to people. Um, so, yeah, it was, I was a bit blown away by just how much he still means to so many people. You know, he passed away in early 1995 um, and yeah, just an absolute heartbreaking story from someone who was playing for England under 18s was on the verge of the first team Um and then uh, was diagnosed with a very rare uh, tumour in his pelvis, which ultimately spread around his, his body. And uh, yeah, just you know, very hard, I think, probably well, hard to write, hard to read. But um, yeah, I, it was an honour really to tell his story. Yeah, absolutely. And tremendous to sort of hear from his family in that piece as well. But well worth reading if people haven't um, had a look at it already. Uh, right, that's the Red Agenda for another week. Um, Three-week break, Si. You'll be able to get your hair cut by the end of it all. <laughs> Not sure about that, Steve. No, 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 Barbara will take that one on. Um, no, it, I'll no. do it. <laughs> if you don't end up with a ball head like you, Give James. me 10 minutes with that. Would you really let James Pierce loose on your hair? I don't know. Uh, Kiva, thank you very much indeed. Side pleasure as always. And James, absolutely brilliant. Loads of articles uh, on The Athletic uh, right now. And the Red Agenda's back in another week.